Hello and welcome back to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in the, to this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our little show. Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the recent uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship round, uh, the Petit Le Mans uh, at Road Atlanta, the 10-hour epic enduro that uh, finishes off the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season in the United States of America. So, for those of you who are maybe not familiar with what IMSA is, well, IMSA is one of my favourite series. Um, it's effectively the American National um, Sports Car Championship. So, they're equivalent to our uh, World Endurance Championship, if you like, but uh, operates on a very, very high level indeed with some of the best sports car drivers in the world, in you know, factory-supported teams, it is a, it's a wonderful, wonderful um, spectacle. In the United States, you've got some of the finest racetracks in the world as well. You've got classics like Laguna Seca, um, Road Atlanta, where where the Petit Le Mans is held, um, Sebring, Daytona, uh, or even actually step over into Canada, go to um, Mossport, um, Canadian, what's well, now called Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Uh, Lime Rock, um, Watkins Glen, oh I love Watkins Glen, so there's so many brilliant tracks that they go to and you have four classes of racing, you have something called DPI uh, which is the kind of top class um, which is a prototype uh, chassis um, so it kind of looks more like a spaceship than a, than a car um, very similar to what you would see competing at the top level at Le Mans. Um, so it's a prototype chassis with a kind of silhouette, sort of the front bodywork's designed to look slightly like <laughs> the um, the manufacturer entering. So in the DPI class, you have um, you have some Mazdas, uh, you have some Acuras, as they're called in the United States, not Hondas, Acuras. Um, you have the Cadillacs, and you have uh, a Nissan uh, as as well. Um, um, and the cool thing about DPI is, is that although the cars look relatively similar in terms of their shape, um, actually the engines that they all use are completely different. So the Mazda um, runs with a four-cylinder, uh, two-liter turbocharged engine, uh, very, very high revving, really, really you know, a screaming engine. Then you have, on the polar opposite end of the scale, you have the Cadillac. The Cadillac is a big old, naturally aspirated V8, very, very traditional American motorsport engine. And then in the middle, you've got the Acura, which is a, a V6 twin-turbo setup uh, as, as well. So any manufacturer can come to the party. Um, they've got relatively uh, the dimensions and the setup of their bodywork and their chassis are relatively closely controlled to control cost um, but the engine is relatively free in terms of at least the style so they don't all have to use a 1.6 litre turbo for example they they can they can use them all different power plants and IMSA across all classes uh, apply something called balance of performance which is used to basically level the field to ensure that lots of different styles of car um, uh, can can come to the can come to the party and compete so maybe if one car is a little bit too fast they might add a little bit of weight or close the restrictor size down a little bit to slow take away a little bit of horsepower so there's lots of different things they can do looking at the data to try and uh, try and control one manufacturer over another to try and ensure 
close racing and it, and it, and it, and close racing is exactly what you you get in DPI then you have uh, the LMP2 class which is similar shape of car to to DPI and unfortunately this year has only had two uh, two cars entering so it's really been a bit of a nothing class this year which has been a shame so uh, that's all we will say about LMP2 <laughs> in, in, in IMSA the other two classes in the in the series are the GTLM class and the GTD class so the GTLM is a GT racing car so a car like you could buy uh, from, well, certainly the silhouette of the car is like a car you could buy from the showroom so you have either a Ferrari 480 or a Ford GT or a BMW M8 or a Corvette or a Porsche 911 but the difference with these cars compared to the GTD cars is that these are full factory outfits that are running these cars with all full factory drivers so the big difference is is that all of the drivers there are there's no restrictions uh, on the drivers that you can have so most of the drivers that you will see in the GTLM class will be classified by the governing body, the FIA, as what are called platinum drivers. So it goes platinum all the way down to bronze, depending on a driver's skill, and platinum driver, of course, being the finest, and that's more or less what GTLM uh, is, is filled with. Again, same as the DPI class, balance of performance is in effect. So, you know, a, a £450,000 road car like the Ford GT, it can be entered and converted into a race car and can race against the kind of equivalent Porsche 911 uh, as as well. In GTD or GT Daytona, to give it its full name, the GTD cars, they run to the global GT3 regulations, which again is a GT racing car based off a production model. So in there you get, um, you'll have Mercedes AMG GTs, you'll have BMW M6s, uh, Acura NSXs, um, Porsche 911s as well, uh, Ferrari 4, 488s and, uh, and so on. The difference in GTD is, is that you must have one bronze driver uh, within your driver lineup. And normally, in the, the way that the business model works in GTD uh, is that there is usually the bronze driver will be what's referred to as a gentleman driver um, who will normally be picking up the tab <laughs> for that particular um, that particular team or will be at least contributing a significant financial amount to the um, to the, the finances of running of the team. So you'll have someone like, I don't know, you'll have somebody like uh, Mike Shank Racing who will run an Acura NSX and one of the drivers in the car will be paying to be, if not both, will be paying to be there, either out of their own pocket or or perhaps through through a sponsor. So you're one of the front-running teams in GT Daytona uh, is the number 33 Mercedes-AMG, uh, where you have professional drivers, Felipe Fraga and Jerome Blakemolen, um, who will be paid to be there. And then you have Ben Keating, who is a very successful car dealer uh, in uh, the United States, and he will he will be paying to be there um, as 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 a hobby, and that's that's the kind of cool thing about sports car racing is is that if you have the money, you can go and you have the money, and you've got your license, your racing license, you can go in and you can go you can go and race um, in IMSA, and eventually you can go and race at Le Mans if you really want to. So that's the cool thing I like about sports cars is is that as a fan, if you have the means you can go and get completely involved and join in on all the action and get to know 
get to know some, some professional race car drivers and actually give some of them a helping hand in their career as well, which I can imagine is, is, is very satisfying uh, indeed. So that's the breakdown of, of the tracks that IMSA goes to, the types of vehicles that you see, and all of these vehicles are all racing on track at the same time. So the, the speed of the prototype cars are much, much quicker. You know, in the, even on a short lap like Road Atlanta that we just saw at the PT Le Mans, uh, it is, when you're talking 15, 20 seconds a lap difference. So the, the closing speeds, and as we saw a number of times, the trying the, the faster cars trying to cut through traffic can sometimes cause a lot of problems. And that's one of the biggest challenges of sports car racing and what makes multi-class sports car racing so exciting. So what is the Pity Le Mans? Well, the Pity Le Mans first uh, came about in the late 1990s when a guy called Don Panos, who uh, is one of the well, one of the real godfathers of, of sports car racing and one of the real um, uh, architects of the success of sports car racing in North America. And he came up with this idea that they would run a kind of shortened version of what they do at the Le Mans 24 Hours in France. Uh, they would do uh, a, effectively an American version of it. So they elected um, Michelin Raceway Road, Road Atlanta, which is a wonderful circuit uh, in Georgia. A really nice undulating circuit, quite a short lap, but very, very cool indeed. Um, used to be owned by a guy called Randy Lanier, who was one of the uh, one of the best or <laughs> or most naughty uh, drug traffickers in uh, in the United States in the nineteen eighties. He was actually in, he, he raced quite successfully in the IMSA Championship himself, and he was making so much money smuggling marijuana that uh, he actually ended up buying Road Atlanta. But he doesn't he doesn't own it anymore, does does, does Randy? But the the Road Atlanta is a wonderful wonderful circuit and very very tricky actually for for um, the faster vehicles and the faster prototype cars to get through the field uh, and, and deal with, with traffic. So the Pity Le Mans, it goes for 10 hours rather than the, 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 the full fat Le Mans in France, it goes for 24 hours. But my goodness me, does, does it uh, open up some, some wonderful racing? And you think after 10 hours, the field would be spread out? Nope. This year, the race went down to the very last moment in nearly every class uh, in the race. It was absolutely uh, ex extraordinary. So what, what did we see? Well, we'll start with the DPI class, which is basically for the outright victory. We saw, we saw a return to the top step of the podium from the number 31 Whelan Engineering Cadillac. Now, the Cadillacs this year uh, I've had, they started off brilliantly uh, with uh, the Wayne Taylor racing car, uh, the number 10 Wayne Taylor racing car, uh, which is a Cadillac, um, won the opening race of the year at the very famous Daytona 24 hours. Um, now the two, the car's two regular drivers, Jordan Taylor and Renger van der Zander, they, they were in the car, but they, they, in order to do a 24 race, 24 hour race, you need more than two people. So they have to go out and find two other drivers to, to share the driving with. Well, they, 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 you could say they threw the kitchen sink at it um, because they asked Kamui Kobayashi, former Formula One driver, Toyota, um, you know, Toyota LMP1 driver, 
and a guy called Fernando Alonso. You might you may have heard of him. Um, double Le Mans winner, double Formula One world champion. And they went out and they won uh, the Daytona 24 hours. They had another good run at uh, Sebring, at the 12 hours of Sebring, getting on the podium there. But unfortunately, the number 10 Cadillac has not been on the podium since. Now, going back to the 31 Cadillac, the whaling engineering car, um, they were the guys that, that they absolutely dominated at Sebring and won at Sebring. But it has been pretty slim pickings for the Cadillac guys uh, since then. There was the number 5 Action Express uh, Mustang sampling Cadillac won at Long Beach early in the season. But since then, it has been the Acuras in particular, and to a certain extent, the Mazdas that have been doing all of the winning. Now, this is, we mentioned the, the word balance of performance earlier on. It's forever a debate that goes on in sports car racing, um, that what is the balance of performance uh, and how does it affect the results? Well, if you were if you're a Cadillac team owner, you're probably saying that you haven't had uh, a fair balance of performance setting uh, since the start of the season. Um, but the Acuras, they're probably quite happy and they've probably stayed quite quiet about it. So having to set that what's called balance of performance accurately is a, a constant challenge for the series organisers. And some series are better at it than others. And basically they've got to take into account um, they've got to take into account how fast the car is in a straight line, how good is it through the corners, how good is it over a single lap, how much does it use its brakes, its tyres and so on. And that is a very, very difficult thing to keep every keep everybody happy and it's definitely swung in the favour of, it's almost like a little bit of a pendulum, it kind of swings back and forth but it's, it's trying to tighten up how much that pendulum swings. If it can only swing a little bit and there's only a small advantage from time to time then that's okay I think because to be honest, any track you go to, balance of performance or not, there will always be cars that have a slight advantage. And you've got to remember that you've got to compare the skill of the guys driving the cars as well. That's very, very important. And I think when discussing balance of performance, that that is almost lost and the skill of the driver is almost taken out of it and their performances are usually caveated on how good their balance of performance is in their car. And I find that that's, I think that's really, really harsh on the drivers is that they win a race, they go, oh, well, their car had a better balance of performance, they should have had more weight on or whatever. Uh, and then if they have a bad race, well, they don't get the, they don't get the benefit for dragging a result out of a car that's, that's just not quick enough. So it's, uh, it's, it is a really, really sticky issue, the balance of performance. But if you want to have a Cadillac come in with their big American V8, Mazda with their little screaming little two two liter four cylinder turbo and Acura with their V6 twin turbo. If you're gonna balance, if you're gonna have all three of these guys competing, balance of performance is absolutely necessary. And when we go into the GT classes, it's even more uh, important again. So the Cadillacs they have had a tougher year, but they um they had a brilliant race at Petit Le Mans um with the number thirty one um of wheel and engineering car of Philippe Nazar, Eric Curran and Pipo Durani, um followed by the number ten of Jordan Taylor, Renger van der Zander and Vaxivierche. Uh, so actually, it would have been a it would have been a Cadillac one two three, but the number five car, the Mustang sampling car, which um, of Juan Barbosa, Philippe Albuquerque, and Mike Conway, um, was actually was the car to beat um, throughout the middle and the later part of the race, and was leading the race. Philippe Albuquerque at the wheel, um, holding station, uh, looking like they were going to come to the come to the finish line in first place. 
but with about 20 minutes to go, coming down uh, Road Atlanta's very, very fast downhill back straight into, uh, I think it's a, it must be a second gear corner in the DPI car. So they're coming from not probably from 180 miles an hour down to about 60 miles an hour. And at that point, there was a huge puff of smoke came from the front left tyre of that Mustang sampling Cadillac. And you thought, well, that's a, goodness me, that's a big lockup. And Philippe Albuquerque ran off into the into the gravel trap, uh, and um, the number ten and the number thirty one Cadillacs got past him. And immediately, Philippe Albuquerque brought the number five Cadillac into the pits, and the the camera was shown on, and basically his brake disc had more or less disintegrated under braking. Quite a scary moment and Philippe Albuquerque did very well to keep the car out of the barriers but unfortunately that was the race done and a breakdown a mechanical failure like that from the you know at the closing stages of a 10-hour race is just devastating for for the team Mike Conway in particular you know, bearing in mind he spends his most of his most of his season racing the hybrid um the dominant hybrid um TSO 50 uh, in the world endurance uh, championship so to get to jump out into uh, a, a DPI Cadillac with a big naturally aspirated V8 is a very different proposition but his he took uh, a major part of the middle part of the race in, um, in his share of the driving and he was showed his class of why he is one of the very best sports car drivers in the world right now especially in prototypes and it's it was such a shame because apparently that number five car um, run by Action Express Racing, who also run the 31 car. It looks like that number five car has got a bit of a funding gap, a little bit of a sponsorship gap uh, and won't be taken to the grid next year unless something is put together quite quickly, which is a great pity. And it would have been, who knows, with a pity Le Mans win, well, how that could have maybe sparked some some new sponsorship. But these are the sort of near misses in motorsport that are just can be so heartbreaking and so and and on the other hand can be so can be so special um, when you're on the, the correct side of of that sort of a, event. So the number 31 car that showed such incredible speed at the beginning of the race. Felipe Nasser, the ex-Formula 1 driver, um, you know, that, there, that, there you go, there's a good reason why IMS is a, a top series. You've got ex-Formula 1 drivers there. Um, you know, the car, the number 31 car, Felipe Nasser at the wheel in the opening stint was just dominant. Um, and uh, yeah, in, on balance, perhaps they deserved the win, but the number 5 car was, was seriously, seriously unlucky. Speaking of the number 10 Cadillac, uh, we'll talk about other manufacturers soon, don't worry, but we'll, we'll close off the Cadillacs first. The number 10 car, um, uh, uh, Vax Vierke, who's the third driver joining Jordan Taylor and Renger van der Zander. Unfortunately, in his opening stint, he really hadn't been in the car since uh, since Sebring, and uh, he had a little bit of a little bit of a disaster. Um, speeding in the pit lane, copped a drive-through penalty for that, and that... The fact that they, they finished in second place and just off the win, only a few seconds off the win, um, you know, they will be... And they came from eighth position on the grid. And brilliant drives, from particularly from Jordan Taylor uh, and teammate Renger van der Zander. What could have been for them um, to bookend the bookend the year with a win at the start of the year at Daytona and then another one at Pity Le Mans would have been wonderful. Um, particularly with Jordan Taylor uh, about to leave his family team and go to race the new Corvette C8R uh, as, as, as well. So we've seen both, used to be both Taylor boys, Ricky Taylor and Jordan Taylor, that raced for their dad's team, Wayne Taylor Racing, but both have, have since flown the nest. So um, yeah, it's uh, that, was a, that was a bit of a pity. And 
I think it highlighted the the difference between the teams that had their when they bring in a third driver they, they do it they do it properly and uh, you know for example the championship winning car the number six Acura of Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya they brought in Simon Pagino who's you know IndyCar champion and Indy five hundred winner you know you can't you can't really get much higher pedigree than that as your third driver. You know, the number five Mustang sampling car had Mike Conway, you know, a, a, a Le Mans frontrunner, um, WEC multiple WEC race winner. So it's that third driver is, is so, so uh, important. The little Mazda, the number 77 Mazda, um, with Ollie Jarvis and Timo Bernhard, um, they were really, really, really unlucky. Um, they were looking in the hunt possibly for to compete for that race win and unfortunately dropped off the pace near the end with a mechanical issue, which was such a such a pity. Dropping out of the um out, out of the podium positions, um, which was such a shame. It was just, it was amazing how the race kind of just worked its way along. Different different uh, cars and DPI running on different strategies, and it was almost hard to follow who was really winning the race as such with the pit stops and all these kinds of things but um the last half an hour or so my goodness me it was just crash bang crash bang wallop uh and uh, yeah and then it it, it it came out um not not in the right way for for Mazda which was a a real pity but um but I'm sure they will they will be back for back for more next year so uh we'll move on to the next class now we'll talk about GTLM which is one of my favourite classes in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship because in this particular class you have all the manufacturers, the big GT manufacturers coming in with absolute blockbuster driver lineups and the closeness of the racing is incredible and the racing this year in particular has been absolutely fantastic. Um, well, my favourite race of the year this year was actually what the shortest race. It was um, the race at Long Beach was only one hour and 40 minutes long and you can get it on IMSA's brilliant YouTube channel so go back and watch the IMSA Long Beach race. If you haven't seen it I will not spoil the result go and watch it because it is fantastic and in particular the GTLM battle uh, in that particular race. So in GTLM as I said you've got you know, you've got cars that you'll see on the street. You've got Ferrari 488s, Corvettes, Porsche 911s, that kind of thing. It's a bit Ford GT. I don't think you see many of them on the street, but they are. But they're 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 racing in in this particular class uh, as as well. Um, GTLM was interesting at Petit Le Mans. Um, we had a. Uh, an appearance from the number 62 Rizzi Competizione Ferrari, which has had a relatively quiet year. It's only It raced at Daytona uh, and it raced at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, but that, that's about it for Rizzi Com Competizione. So Rizzi Competizione is a... It, it's, it's not a factory team as such. It's kind of like a semi-factory team. Um, so... If you look at like the Chip Ganassi Fords, that's a factory effort. And the RHL BMW is a factory effort. The Corvette's very much a factory effort. And so are the Porsche uh, cars as well. So when a, a car manufacturer or a motorsport factory are behind a project, that, that has a whole new level uh, of funding. But the Ferrari, Rizzi Competizione, have an incredible heritage and history in motor racing, um, always with Ferraris, um, backed by Ferrari dealers. And the but 
the driver lineup that they had was pure factory. They had James Collado, um, Alessandro Puerguidi, and Daniel Serra. The winners of the GTE class, which is the equivalent of the GTLM, um, winners of the GTE class uh, at Le Mans this year, and they completed the the unique um, uh, the unique uh, achievement of winning Petit Le Mans and. Uh, Grand Le Mans, for lack of a better word, in the same year. Uh, so, so that was that was pretty cool. So, seeing the Ferrari coming back in after only completing one one other IMSA race this year and coming in and winning um, straight away was was fantastic. However, that does raise the question of balance of performance. If a car, if you're not racing regularly, trying to set that balance of performance uh, is quite difficult. And really, the the guys um, who set that balance of performance, they've only really got the opening practices to make a kind of call on that and if they need to make an adjustment to BOP. So that does open up the prospect of sandbagging where, say, for example, Ferrari come in and they run deliberately slowly maybe a second off the pace or so uh, during practice and it looks like oh well we, we need to give ferrari a little bit less weight or open up the restrictor a little bit and then in the race hey presto they're you know they're they're nine tenths of a second faster than anyone else and you think mm, how did that happen we've seen that before um but it, it didn't starve us of a good battle in GTLM. We had a great Ford versus Ferrari classic battle um, between the number 67 Ford GT of Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook and uh, IndyCar maestro Scott Dixon, um, Ganassi's man in uh, in, in IndyCar. Uh, but it was a Ferrari that, that, that came out uh, on, on, on top. Speaking of the Fords, um, <clears throat> as I say, the number 67 in its wonderful Gulf livery uh, colour scheme, uh, unfortunately that is that is the last that we will see of the factory Ford GTs. They came in uh, in 2016 with a four-car effort uh, at Le Mans um, to win that race, which they successfully did. So, um, so they basically the whole idea with the Ford GT uh, coming into the into world sports car racing in in 2016 was to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Ford's win, uh, Ford's first win at the Le Mans 24 Hours in 1966 when they came in to try to defeat Ferrari. After uh, it's a quite a cool story actually because Ford Motor Company basically were were right on the cusp of buying the Ferrari company from um, its owner Enzo Ferrari, and just as the deal was about to be signed and Enzo Ferrari was about to put his very famous purple inked pen to paper and sign over the company to uh, Henry Ford and his company he noticed a clause in the contract which said that he would relinquish control of the company's racing department and that, that Ford would take control of Ferrari's racing department and Enzo was a very principled man and racing was the only reason why Ferrari existed he basically sold the road cars to pay for the race team and ripped up the contract there and then and sent the Ford executives back on back on their way. Uh, and Henry Ford was absolutely livid uh, at this snub from Enzo Ferrari. And he says, right, we're going we're gonna to give them a taste of their own medicine here. And at that point, Ferrari were um, the dominant force at Le Mans, winning many, many, many races at that time. And Henry Ford said, right, we're going we're gonna to beat them. And then they came in uh, and won um, four, four years on the trot. Uh, at Le Mans from 66 to, to 69. So uh, back in 2016, um, Ford uh, introduced uh, not only the Ford GT racing car, but the Ford GT road car. But basically the Ford GT road car 
was only built, a minimum number of examples was built um, to effectively qualify um, to compete at Le Mans. And each of these cars was sold, I think they were £450,000. And even then, there was uh, an invitation list of people who were given the opportunity to part with £450,000 to buy one of these amazing Ford GT cars. So there was much... Uh, much uh, kind of argument at the time from other manufacturers who were competing cars which retailed for you know a quarter of that price and were were built in in much larger numbers but again balance of performance is something that that can be used to level that out however what we saw in that time at 2016 at Le Mans was that the Ford GT was looked slow in testing looked slow in qualifying and then all of a sudden bang it came out with loads of pace in in the race so um they read into that what you will but it will be such a shame to see those four gts um uh leaving not only imza but they've already left of course the world endurance championship we saw in private hands uh, Ben Keating, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Ben Keating, who purchased the first privately owned Ford GT racing car, took it to Le Mans and won on the road uh, in the GTE AM class this year, but sadly was disqualified due to um, a, a fueling infringement where basically the, the tank of the car was about a litre too big and the refueling was happening about half a second too quickly, but that was enough to be excluded from the results. And uh, I I think from what I understand that has put uh, that'll certainly have put Ben uh, off uh, competing that car again, and I don't think it's a terribly easy car to 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 operate, uh, and certainly not a cheap car to operate. And we've seen Ben move to the Project One Porsche team in the WEC, which I presume will mean that he will compete at Le Mans in that Porsche with his teammates, and his Ford GT will will remain uh, a bit of a museum piece, sadly. So. It's. Uh, I really hope that those four GT cars end up uh, in other racing teams' hands, end up in some private hands, and 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 they actually get back onto the track because they are the most amazing looking vehicles and really add so much to the spectacle of um, sports car racing. And it would be such a shame to see them, um, you know, to see them retired completely to to collections and museums and things like that. So let's let's hope not. But um, but for, I think it's it's important to say thank you um, to Ford and to Chip Ganassi and to all the folks that that put that program together. If if we've only had four years, um, we we thank you very much because that they were awesome. Um, however, Ford's driver program, the, the guys who, who race for Ford, there's some really, really top-end drivers who are now looking for drives. And in IMSA at the moment, you have a lot more drivers of a very high standard looking for drives and less cars for them to fit into. And the series is going to come into a little bit of difficulty in the next couple of years of trying to, you know, trying to, to, to satisfy that demand for drivers and, and to have enough cars on the grid. So... We'll need to wait and see what what happens there, but I, I sincerely hope that there are that these drivers all find uh, seats to 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 race in for for next season. Last mention with uh, GTLM uh, is the Porsche team. Um, so Porsche, uh, they uh, had already wrapped up the manufacturer's title, and the it was just down to decide a free race to decide who would be drivers' championship. So all year we've seen brilliant battles between the 912 car of El Bamber and Lawrence Vantor uh, and the 911 car of uh, Nick Tandy and Patrick Pile. 
and it needed it needed a little bit of a miracle for uh, Tandy and Pele to to claim the driver's title. They had to, I think they had to win and um, basically Earl Bamber and Van Tour to come to come last in the class, um, which was highly unlikely to happen. Um, despite Earl Bamber having a little bit of an altercation with the number thirty one Cadillac with only five or ten minutes to go uh, in 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 the race, um, but they both made it through made it through safely. Um, so, but sadly, after after having probably the the certainly the the superior pace throughout the season, the Porsche nine one two and the Porsche nine one one cars finished in fifth and sixth place um, respectively, which is not where they've been used to finishing, and they've had a slightly tough end to the season. But I suspect again, caveat. There's a little bit of a balance of performance um, pendulum swinging around there, and it maybe not, maybe not in their favour necessarily. But they've had a very, very successful year nonetheless. Drivers' champions and team champions, uh, and to be honest, I would say well, well deserved indeed. Um, El Bamber and Lawrence Van Tour have been absolute class all year, uh, and and likewise so of Nick Tandy and and, and Patrick Peely. Um, sadly, Petit Le Mans was. Uh, was the you know, the farewell for the naturally aspirated 911 RSR, which I think is one of the finest sounding racing cars ever produced. Um, the just the sheer scream and the high revving nature of of that car, revving all the way around to well, I think nearly ten thousand RPM. It's so so loud. Four liters flat six, normally aspirated. Sadly, moving to um, a turbo motor next year, um, which they've already started racing with in the World Endurance Championship. Which, having experienced and listened to it trackside, um, is nowhere near as spectacular as the um, uh, as the old nine eleven RSR. But uh, um, we we will still see the the old style nine eleven RSR for the rest of the season. In the World Endurance Championship uh, until June, till them all basically next year. So um, we'll, we'll we can uh, we can enjoy them in in amateur hands until until then. But uh, pity them all basically uh, that uh, closed off their uh, their factory um, their factory tenure, if you like the the nine eleven RSR. Uh, if you've not heard one of these Porsche nine eleven RSRs before, um, just look it up on YouTube. They are absolutely incredible uh, machines. Okay, so lastly, uh, we'll talk about GT, GTD, uh, which is one of my favourite classes uh, in IMSA um, because of the, the pro-am element of it. So what I find so, so cool about it is that you can have, in a team of two or a team of three, you've got one driver um, who is uh, effectively what they call, it's what they call a gentleman driver who uh, is either paying a lot to be there or is funding the whole program altogether um, uh, and it's it's just extraordinary that 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 kind of dynamic how you've got guys who will um, will pay so much money um, to go in there and race alongside professionals and race against professionals I mean the fact that you're taking to the grid and you can be on track racing wheel to wheel with someone who has been karting since they're six years old and you're a 40 year old 40 year old person and you're 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 trying your best to keep in front of them and for a few laps you are and that is and the the kind of timing of when you put your amateur driver in is so important uh that strategy they have to do a minimum drive time they have a certain amount of time that they have to be at the wheel of the car i think it's about 45 minutes um 
and then the professionals will will will, will take the rest. Um, I just I just love that that aspect. What other sport, uh, can you say where 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 that's possible? It's almost like the uh, for any golfers listening, the the Dunhill uh Dunhill Links Championship, which is a golf championship in in Scotland, um, played over four courses, um, sorry three courses, St Andrews. Uh, Kings, Barnes, and Carnoustie, and the professionals will play with an amateur, um, and and their combined score is put together. So it's, that's about as close uh, as you can get. But that's only one event a year. Whereas basically the kind of business model of sports car racing is more or less built on um, the, you know a wealthy amateur driver who who wants to pay for a seat. Apparently to race at Le Mans in the LMP2 prototype class if you want a seat in there. Apparently for Le Mans, you're over a million pounds for that, reportedly, which is an extraordinary amount of money. But if I had a million pounds to spare, that's exactly what I would be spending on. <laughs> so GTD, what did we see? Well, we saw a bit of history being made, actually, because the number one, uh, the, the, the winning car, the number 96 BMW M6, uh, the Turner Motorsport car uh, in the wonderful Liquid Molly uh, livery, uh, Bill Orberlin, Robbie Foley uh, and Macha Vern. They won. Uh, they won the race, and Bill Orberlin uh, equaled uh, the record set by Scott Pruitt of sixty wins in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Absolutely incredible. Uh, and you know, he was asked by pit lane reporter Shea Adam after the race, saying, "You know, you're going to come back next year and try and try and you know try and get the record all for yourself." He says, "Yeah, I'm coming back next year, and the year after that, and the year after that." And so that is so cool to see that kind of that optimism and and. From a professional driver who's been at the front of the sport for so much. I mean, in endurance racing, to win 60 times is absolutely amazing because there's so much that can go wrong over the course of a over the course of an endurance race uh, in a championship like IMSA. So to win on 60 occasions is just quite e- extraordinary. They were followed home by the number 29 uh, Audi R8 uh, of Feller, Morad and Mies um, who uh, have not been a regular entrant in the championship mainly focusing on the endurance races um, so it was good to see them back and good to see an Audi R8 running back uh, at the front of the GTD class it's been a very very difficult year for those Audi r eight so far uh, this year and then closing out the podium was the number 9 Faf Porsche the plaid pattern Porsche uh, of Hargrove Robichon and Kern. Um, unfortunately, the the number thirty three, Felipe Fraga, Ben Keating, and Jerome Blakemolen, they were leading right up until the very end of the race. Um, with Felipe Fraga dry, right up into the last lap, holding off Bill Orberlin, charging Bill Orberlin in the BMW M six behind, and making his little Mercedes AMG two or three cars wide, trying to keep him behind. And it looked like he was really, really struggling for pace. The reason for that was he actually ran out of fuel halfway through the last lap. And after a 10-hour race, that must be absolutely gut-wrenching. Um, after, you know, after winning Le Mans on the road and, you know, losing out over a small technicality and then going to win, going try, attempting to win uh, a big, big race like Pity Le Mans, uh, and and running out of fuel in the last lap, you just can't imagine uh, the agony uh, for 
you know, for, for, for those guys. And reportedly Ben Keating uh, and his, his co-drivers, Felipe Fraga and yeah, Jerome Blakemolin, they will be focusing only on the World Endurance Championship in the Project One Porsche for the next um, for the next little while. And reportedly not coming back to IMSA next year. So that would have been so nice for them to sign off on a on a win um so very very sad indeed and that is just very very dramatic and very very exciting for those of us sitting in the sitting behind our tv screen or at the racetrack but for the 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 team involved and the drivers involved it must be absolutely gut-wrenching so um commiserations to um to to those guys uh the number 86 acura did win the championship in the end um, the the Mike Shank racing car, uh, but unfortunately, um, they, they basically they were they won the championship by starting the race. That was enough to score the points they needed to put themselves out of the um out of the question, out of the running, um, uh, for for the for the for the title, but. Uh, unfortunately, b- breaking down uh, with early mechanical problems very early in the race, um, which took them out, and in the end lost Acura the uh, the manufacturer's title in GT Daytona with Lamborghini pinching that title at the very last moment. It looked like Acura were going to hang on, but the number fifty seven car, the uh, Caterpillar sponsored car driven by Catherine Legg, unfortunately was uh, involved in contact with the number sixty three Ferrari. Uh, Tony Vlander coming up the inside uh, and clipping um, clipping Catherine Legg in the number fifty seven Acura and, and the Ferrari spinning off. And after that point, Catherine's pace seemed to drop off from what she was running before that and unfortunately dropped back a couple of positions and in doing so lost the championship uh, the the manufacturer championship to um to Lamborghini which was such a shame I want to make a special mention to that number 57 car um, entered at the start of the year um, by Mike Shank Racing sponsored by by Caterpillar uh, and it was an all female lineup. Catherine Legg a very very experienced driver former IndyCar driver um, you know IMSA race winner very very high quality driver Christina Nielsen um, the, 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 the Dane um, who's, who in qualifying this year has taken all as the bronze driver she's taken all the qualifying duties and has performed very very well in qualifying uh, and Bia Figueiredo the Brazilian touring car driver she's been fantastic as well they've just not had the luck this year um, been following their progress very closely uh, and it's just not quite come together their pace has been decent but just been a little bit unlucky but the, um, from what I understand they will be back next year and they'll be back for Daytona uh, and watch out for them because they are they are they are quick those girls and they've what, what they've done is a, a wonderful achievement um, to to get out there and and and, and fight um, at the front of a very very competitive um, motor racing class so that's uh, that's IMSA. There you go. That's IMSA Pity Le Mans, uh, the biggest one of the biggest races of the year uh, for the championship. Um, it's a championship which I which I thoroughly enjoy watching. I've really enjoyed watching it all year. It's brilliant because you can actually you can watch the race live uh, for free on IMSA.tv or via Radio Le Mans. And the commentary um, from the IMSA TV crew, uh, Jeremy Shaw and John Heidel, um, uh, is, is fantastic, very well informed, um, very entertaining as well. Um, and it, you can either, and also if you don't see the race live, a few days after the race, the whole race comes up on YouTube where you can watch it at your leisure um, 
um, through, through you know throughout the rest of the week or whatever. So that's that's something that I've I, I've found very useful being able to keep up and watch all the races all the way through and some great racing there has been uh, indeed. Now oh I've forgotten one thing. We need to mention one thing. Jan Magnussen. Jan Magnussen, unfortunately, um, will uh, at the, now that the season has closed, has left the Corvette racing team. Now, Jan Magnussen's a former Formula One driver. His son, Kevin Magnussen, is a current Formula One driver. Uh, and he has had the most amazing career in American sports car racing, in global sports car racing. He has been a, with the Corvette racing team for 16 years. He has had 35 victories uh, with the team. He's won the Sebring 12 hours five times with Corvette. He's had five IMSA championships, 156 races, uh, a Daytona 24-hour win, four Petit Le Mans wins, and four um, Le Mans 24-hour wins. So one of a very, very small number of drivers who have won at Le Mans Pity Le Mans, Daytona and Sebring all together. Uh, absolutely extraordinary career. Finishing, even though they've had a tough year this year, him and his co-driver Antonio Garcia, but still coming home in third in the championship. Um, quite an extraordinary uh, achievement, I, I must say. Um, really, really, really sad that he won't be continuing with Corvette Racing, it's just, he's just, it seems to me he's just part of the furniture there at Corvette Racing and a big part of, of, of that successful racing team over the years. He, the, the official line in the press releases is that he's exploring other racing opportunities. So I tell you what, anybody, any race, any sports car racing team in the world would be very well served by a guy of Jan Magnussen's quality. It may, may be that he goes into um, something like GT Daytona as the professional driver uh, with um, with an amateur. You never know. He would make a very, very good mentor for, for, for a young amateur as well. Um, it really, really sad to see him finish his time with Corvette Racing, but some things don't last uh, don't last forever. So uh, we, we wish you all the best, Jan. It's been brilliant watching you uh, and wish you all the best for whatever you decide to do next. So that's all for, for, for this episode. Um, thank you very much for listening. It's been a longer one than usual, but lots to talk about um, with, with, with IMSA uh, in this episode. Um, you can follow our show and subscribe uh, via our platform Podbean or whatever your podcast uh, preferred podcast platform is um, and if you follow the show or subscribe to the show your device will give you a notification whenever a new uh, episode is released you can also follow the show uh, on facebook which is the just the peter mckay motorsport podcast you can follow us on instagram which is at peter mckay motorsport uh, or on twitter uh, which is at mckay podcast or you can do it the old-fashioned way you can get in touch with me via my website which is www com. So thanks very much for listening and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon.